You're listening to the Driving Confidence Podcast for drivers who want to be calm and confident on the road. We will be sharing tips, stories and advice to beat driving nerves and anxiety and build your driving confidence. Whether you are just starting out as a learner or have had your driving license for years, if you want to transform how you feel about driving, this podcast is for you. This episode is being published in Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK. And we were really keen to bring this in as a focus for this week's episode. And so we particularly went out looking for somebody who could talk about driving with mental health in mind. And the person we chose, I'm really interested to hear the reasons why they stopped driving and what techniques they use to be able to start driving again and become confident while they're driving now. So let's get on and listen to her story. In this episode, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Penny Ling, who's a hypnotherapist and has agreed to come on and talk to us about her experiences with driving fears and with overcoming her driving fears. So hi, Penny. Thank you for joining us. Hi there. I'm glad to be here. Brilliant. Penny, what I'd like to ask is, can you just tell us a little bit about your driving experiences and what's happened? I was a bit late to learning to drive. I was 24, whereas a lot of my contemporaries were in their late teens. And because I grew up in London, there was no pressure to drive because We just used to take public transport all the time. But when I moved out of London and I was living in Reading, there was a lot more pressure to actually go places and drive across town and things like that because public transport wasn't that great. But I also think where a lot of my anxiety, where it was subconscious, was the fact that when my parents moved out of London, my mother stopped driving altogether. One of my aunts did her driving lessons and driving tests about five or six times and failed each one. And my other aunt didn't learn to drive at all. So I think there was a a real precedent for the women in our family not to drive. And when I started driving, I felt really anxious throughout the whole thing. And that anxiety never really left me. And I think the the worst thing about learning to drive was changing gear. And the changing gear, I just couldn't get around in my head at all. And in fact, today I'm driving an automatic because I find that changing gear still does my head in. So <laughs> it there must be some block that I have about being able to and I, I wonder if it's anything to do with my dyslexia because I learnt about the brain when I was training. And one of the things it, it went through was a whole thing about dyslexia. And it wasn't just about the reading or the the sound of words, but also an element of movement and coordination in there as well, but maybe an element of dyspraxia. Yeah. And I then worked out that I did have trouble with sideways movement. So if I was in a, a low car, small one, and I approached a roundabout, 
I had a lot of problems with traffic coming round at an angle and me feeling a bit dizzy and disorientated by it. And strangely enough, that kind of disappeared when I moved into a much bigger vehicle. So when I went back to driving again, I went into a Range Rover and it felt so different. I felt safe as well. And because it was automatic, I didn't have to think about that. So that in itself really helped build my confidence levels up because I wasn't experiencing all those kind of things that really bothered me before. Oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? So there's a whole lot there that you've just said, Penny. So there's that family history, that background of your experiences through other people, through other females in your family. And then you've added in that element of dyslexia, dyspraxia, and how that might feel and the sort of feelings that gave you in a small car and certain movements. Yes. So with that all in mind, you did learn to drive successfully and you did pass your driving test, didn't you? Yes. In fact, I learned over a period of about eight months and I passed first time, which really surprised me (laughs) because I did not expect that to happen at all. And from there, we had a Ford Fiesta. Now, (laughs) this then brings me to the other things that really drip fed into my stress bucket because the Fiesta was forever falling apart. Yeah. It was it used to break down, things used to stop working. I can remember once driving from Reading to Oxford and the speedo stopped working. And I had to drive on the rev counter by knowing how many revs (laughs) that the engine was going and staying behind vehicles so that I was like traveling within the, the speed limit. Things like that just added on and on and on into my stress bucket. I can remember once turning a corner and the car filling up with smoke and me having to stop the car and kind of fall out of the car coughing. And it it turned out to be a short circuit of the wiring to the radio. So (laughs) (laughs) it was was a bit like driving a clown car, to be honest. (laughs) At the circus. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, what's going to happen next? And there were times that I used to start the car and nothing happened. I was working at the Oxford Mail as a graphic designer at the time. And the number of times that I had to be bumped out of the car park because it wouldn't go. And all these things were absolute nightmare for me. And At that point, we actually changed cars. My parents gave me their Ford Orion and I thought, great, it's a bigger car. I feel safer. It's automatic, so I don't have to think. But within a matter of months, the gearbox went on it and all kinds (laughs) of problems happened with the electrics. And of course, my anxiety just went through the roof again. And also, I'd had a few near misses, which some of them were my own. Uh, kind of fault in that I I thought the car could actually have more power than it did trying to overtake things. And also along the A34, 
there are very short slip roads. And we were traveling along and this lorry in front of us decided to actually pull into the fast lane because there was a slip road there. And he was a left-hand drive lorry and he couldn't see us in the mirror. So he nearly ran us off the road. Now, I wasn't even driving at that point. I was just passenger, but it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And with all those things going on and the fact that the car was unreliable, even when I was at work, the pool cars, occasionally I'd get sent somewhere to work with one of the other journalists. And I would drive there in this car that, again, falling apart couldn't get first or second gear or it was running out of petrol. So my whole experience in those early days were so fraught with anxiety and tension that I think it was 1993 or four, I closed the door on the car and I went, I just can't do it. I'm not going to drive again. It's doing my head in. And so I didn't drive again for about 13 years, effectively. And you describe a whole collection of different scenarios and different things that happened. So a couple of things that were other drivers' fault, lots of things around problems with the cars that you were driving. You did mention a judgment call yourself with one of the near misses. Do you feel that it was your driving ability that was causing the nerves or do you feel it was all the other things that were happening, all the other environmental things that were out of your control? I think it was. I was working in a very stressful environment with all this sort of traveling in vehicles that were sort of falling apart essentially <laughs> and things going on in my life. I moved very shortly after that incident to work in the IT industry where my stress levels went absolutely through the roof. And I just couldn't even think about the possibility of driving again because my own stress levels are dealing with working in the IT industry, which just did not gel with me. And it wasn't until years later, I went to see a, a careers counsellor who basically said, your ethics and your values are so different to the IT industry. You'd be much better off either going back into newspapers again or to become a therapist or something like that because you're a people person. And the IT industry isn't. And um, I actually, I went for hypnotherapy because I got to a point, I'd been through three jobs in three years. And I thought each time I, I do a job, the same thing happens over and over again. And I thought I was just going mad. And the careers counsellor said, no, you're not going mad, but you need to reduce your stress levels before you do anything else. So I went for hypnotherapy with the idea of actually going back to drive. Unfortunately, he was an old-fashioned hypnotherapist, was using sort of Freudian regression and was trying to regress me back to the point where 
I don't know whether he thought I could consolidate some of that anxiety. I'm not quite sure the idea behind it because he never explained anything to me. And he regressed me back and I ended up having this kind of visualization of me getting my head stuck in the bars of uh, the stairwell at home when I was very young. <laughs> and I, I said to him, well, what, what's that got to do with driving? And he said, well, I don't know. It could be anyone's guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder whether he was perhaps thinking that there had been one single incident that had set off your driving fear, whereas in actual fact what you've described to us is a whole scenario of different unfortunate events. Yes. Uh, I think you're right there. I think his training was very much along those lines of trauma happens in childhood. So we go back to that trauma and we change something. So therefore, in your adult state, you'll be able to drive again. And what the hypnotherapy did actually do for me was actually put me onto a completely different path. So I realized that it wasn't going to tackle the driving but it allowed me to take a step back from working in the IT industry and, and say to myself, do you know what? I need to change that. And so I spoke to my husband and I said, do you know, I just need a break from all of this. And so we decided, because a friend of ours had moved to New Zealand, I said, Look, let's just sell the house. Let's just go traveling for a year. And then we can come back again and start again effectively. And that's what we did. And so we went traveling and we came back. And at that point, I went back into the newspaper industry, but I knew that wasn't going to last very long because the internet had come along and I had foreseen that the publishing industry was going to struggle a lot, which is one reason I went into the IT industry in the first place. But at that moment, down in Somerset, where we went to live with friends to start with, it was still going strong. So I went back into working in a newspaper again. And this time it was the Clevedon Mercury and it was next to the sea. And it was an absolutely wonderful job. But that then gave me the chance with other interests that I had at the time, I decided that I was going to do a course in hypnotherapy. And it was whilst I, within the matter of the first two or three months of training, I realized that the way that, that an original hypnotherapist had been working, why it didn't work. And having learned about neuroscience and how the brain worked, I fully understood, A, what I was doing, I was making it worse because every time I thought about driving, I would just bring back all those memories of those near misses and the car breaking down and <laughs> all the really negative stuff. So it wasn't surprising that every time I sat in a car, I essentially had a panic attack. Yeah. So... In the training, they use the NLP, rewind and reframe. Mm -hmm. And 
So we did the rewind on my driving. And then a week later, I, I wrote out my reframe and my husband actually did that for me. And I got off the sofa. I went to the car. I sat in it and I was waiting for the panic attack. And it didn't happen. And I was honestly, I was gobsmacked. I really didn't think that it would work so fast. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, I'm not stressed out by my job. I'm fairly relaxed now because I was listening to hypnotherapy CDs and just recorded my own. And so I thought to myself, well, I don't want to push it too far too fast. So I set out a plan. And that plan was that every Sunday I would go out for a drive and I would start just going round our state. And then I'd go round half the town and then I'd go round the whole town. And then I would drive to the next village. And so I just built up that confidence every time. And the other thing that I did as well was I booked myself in with a driving instructor and his was not an automatic car. And so I was struggling a little bit, but by the end of it, he said, had you not told me that you had struggled with this anxiety for so long and just got back to driving again, I wouldn't have believed you. He said, that circuit we did, you might have hesitated a bit at one point, but you drove it beautifully. You really were paying attention. You knew when to accelerate and when to brake and when to change gear. He said, I could not fault it at all. So that helped boost my confidence levels even more. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And someone impartial giving you those words, those positive words, is something that you you can't put your finger on what happens, but someone different that doesn't really know you telling you that is so empowering, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because you tend to believe that negative voice in your brain. Mm. And that was a, a real defining moment for me. It was the penny dropping. And I'm like, ah, what it's telling me is not necessarily true. Yeah. Thoughts are not facts. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's the main thing I I got out of doing the training. So when I actually qualified, I was still working at the newspaper and I decided that I was going to carry on doing the hypnotherapy on a part-time basis. I actually changed jobs and I went to work for a magazine in Bristol so that I could free some time up so I could see clients on a a Saturday morning and also on a Wednesday evening. And so over that period of a year, because that was 2008, I slowly began to build up my own clients and I specialized in the fear of driving. Great, based on your own experiences. Yeah. And I did get quite a lot of clients and that in itself was another learning experience because I went with the idea, oh, I know exactly what this person is experiencing, but I learned so much from them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because each person's journey into with nerves, confidence, anxiety, it, everybody's different. Everyone comes from a different place, don't they? 
Absolutely. And that some people have the ability to be able to go, right, these are the problems. I'm looking for solutions for those problems. Right, let's solve that problem. That's out of the way. I can now focus on solving the driving. But what I learned was that so many of these clients had issues around relationships and family and work. And they were pretty reluctant to actually make any real change. And so it was difficult to get them to have the same changes that I experienced in such a short time. Because once they kind of realized that a lot of it was whatever was in their stress bucket, some of them were just like, no, I don't want to touch that at all. It might be stressful, but the way things are, I'm happy for it to carry on in that way. And that in itself can be quite frustrating from a therapist's perspective. But I kind of learned to actually say that to my clients quite early on. In fact, usually during the initial consultation, that if they think there are things that they do not want to change that are being stressful, then working with me is not going to make much of a difference and that they need to reduce their stress levels first by whatever means. That's really interesting you say that because I know a little bit about the stress bucket, but can you just explain for people that might not know what the stress bucket is or what your stress bucket is? The stress bucket is essentially a metaphor for the amount of stress one can live with. So if you've got a fairly stress-free life, it means that you've got the ability to get on and do a lot of things. And when something stressful happens, you have the resolve to go through it. Whereas if you are in a job that's stressful and you you might have a boss that is argumentative, you might be in a marriage that's not particularly happy, but it's convenient. There may be other issues with neighbours or family members. So the more things that are there in your stress bucket makes other things like trying to drive really difficult to do. And because the other thing that driving does is it puts you in that trance state. So you might be driving along a road and you go into that trance and you start thinking about an argument that you had with someone. Yeah. And that then raises your stress levels. In fact, I mentioned it in a book that I've written about a client of mine who his problem wasn't so much the driving, but he had an accident on his mountain bike and couldn't get back on the mountain bike again. So it's kind of vaguely related there. But what had happened was that he'd had an argument with his girlfriend on the way to this event. And he was thinking so much of that argument that he failed to realise he was about to drive off a very steep drop. And he ended up in hospital having broken quite a few bones. And I say to my clients with their driving is you need to stay quite focused and not get pulled down these thoughts about these stressful things that are happening to them because they're much more likely to have accidents like that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that we notice with people who come and speak to us for help one-to-one. Very often somebody who has panic attacks around driving 
when we speak to them, we discover that actually they were able to drive, they'd passed the test, they'd been driving independently. But when people reach that point in their driving where they no longer give everything 100% of their attention, it frees up a little bit of attentional space for thinking. And inevitably, if people are going through a stressful period in their life, it's thoughts about those stressful things that are going to sneak in while they're driving. And actually, very often, it's those stressful thoughts that have caused the panic attack, not the driving. Would you say that mirrors your experiences, Penny? Yes, absolutely. And if we're going to go you know, from a neuroscience perspective, it's the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that pattern matches these huge emotional states. And it's looking out for those things that are potentially could be life-threatening. Yeah. And it gets it wrong. And it can attach that fear to weird things. I mean, that's essentially what phobias are. They're irrational fears about things that are totally safe. So yes, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. And people don't connect their stressful thoughts with their panic attack, what they notice is that they were driving and they had a panic attack and they make that incorrect link there. And unsurprisingly, because when you have a panic attack, if you are doing something where to have a panic attack is really dangerous, then that's quite a traumatic experience. Having a panic attack while you're driving is really traumatic. So it's understandable that your brain would link those two things together and say, whoa, you don't want to be having a panic attack and driving at the same time. Yes, because basically your brain's putting you in the fight or flight response. So all you want to do is run away. Yeah. And you can't do that, especially when you're on the motorway. <laughs> no, you can't. There's, exactly. no, there's not even hard shoulders now. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that I also found from working with people over the years, and that was some of the people who were having the panic attacks were also heavy smokers. And I did a little bit of research into this and found that they had done some tests on heavy smokers. And it's because the panic attack is a shortening of breath that the smokers were having the shortening of breath exactly the same and their brains were interpreting it as a panic attack. And then if they're in the car and if they're on the motorway, their brains then associate it actually with the driving and don't even realise that it's not a panic attack, but it's the breathing having trouble because they're having such trouble bringing air into their lungs. Uh, They might even be smoking at that moment, and quite often they are, that they have the panic attack. So quite often I've said to to clients when they've come for initial consultation, I ask them if they smoke, if they're heavy smokers, I, I try and persuade them to cut down or even give up. And some of them are yeah, open to that and some of them really reluctant. So yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes to break that habit to be able then to deal with the stress of driving. That's a really interesting little link there, isn't it? It's just these little facts that come up in research that give little light bulb moments maybe for a few people when they yes. hear them. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I find in driving as well, you know, creating habits that you can continue to do and making those habits your habits. So they're not anybody else's, they're your habits. And that works really well when you come to areas where you are not familiar with because you're just using the same habits that you've created in other areas. And it seems to me that it's all related into stress and anxiety within driving. Yes, and sometimes things can be triggered very much subconsciously. So, for example, one lady I worked with only had panic attacks on one stretch of road. And I asked her, well, what was it about that stretch of road? Was it over a bridge or perhaps through some trees? And she said that she didn't really know. So I got her to drive down that road again, but slightly slower and kind of work out what it was that was making her feel anxious. And it turned out she was driving past a house which was lived in by one of her ex-boyfriends. And it was that that was triggering the panic, not the actual driving itself. Mm. Yeah, not the driving. And I think this is really common. Um, and we, like you say, just things that are in people's subconscious that they, you know, they're subconscious, so you don't know they're there. Yes, that's um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the brain's a funny old thing. So it's trying to, in some ways, sort of suppress memory, but it always sneaks out somewhere else when you don't want it to. <laughs> I'm interested in exploring with you, Penny, going back to the days when you were driving before you gave up and you were finding it very stressful. I'm interested in the difference between what your thoughts and feelings and driving behaviours were then as opposed to now that you're back driving confidently. Well, I guess that the main thoughts were I hate doing this. <laughs> and yep. uh, I also think a lot of it, particularly when I worked in the IT industry, was I hate going to work. And so on a subconscious level, I think it was making me feel more anxious because it didn't want me to get there. Yes. So it just made my driving and all those negative thoughts just focus on, I don't want to be there. I'm going to make it really difficult for you to get there. There were certain places, roundabouts, things like that, which would make my anxiety even worse. So what I ended up doing was driving at odd times so that I wouldn't encounter much traffic. Yeah. And that was unhelpful as well. Yes, yeah, because your avoidance just leads to reinforcement. Exactly, so, yeah. yes. Yeah. So all those, I'm sure things that other people would resonate with. So how about now? What's the difference now? How, how do you feel when you're driving now? I feel relaxed. I'm paying attention to not just the car in front, but because I drive a four by four and I'm up high, I can see over the car in front and what's far ahead. And I found that helped enormously because when you're stuck behind something and you can't see in front, you're very much driven by what the vehicle in front is doing. And that can be unhelpful. Like all of a sudden the brake lights go on and you have to respond. Whereas if you're in a vehicle and can see further down the road, 
And you can see what's happening down there. You can anticipate a lot sooner. And that's one reason I absolutely hate really small cars or sort of short cars or or cars where you're laid back. I feel a lot more vulnerable in now than I do my four by four. I'm sat upright. I'm looking out. I listen to the radio. I found that if I try and sing along to the song, I use up too much brain activity. So I, I try not to do that and and just keep calm, essentially. I do a lot of mindfulness. Yeah. So I check my body position. And if we're driving in uh, quite heavy traffic and it's slow and it's in town, I'm very mindful about I'm holding on to the steering wheel. I can feel my bottom on the seat. I can feel my feet on the pedals. And that helps enormously keep relaxed, in control, not thinking of anything in particular. Do you feel that you're driving in space, a space that you have created? Yes, I I guess I do. It feels a bigger space now because I'm driving a bigger car. Mm. And I think before it felt such a small space. My husband and I laugh. We describe it as driving with whiskers like cat's whiskers you're going to get through a gap and you know how wide your car is and so many people fail (laughs) to kind of get that (laughs) and you I mean I've driven through really really small gaps and and amazed myself that I've done it but I just have that I guess spatial awareness but it's surprising the number of people that do not have spatial awareness it's something that as the driving instructor we i try to reframe if i said to people that what we're going to do is concentrate on driving in narrow gaps and small spaces that puts them already on edge yes but what i try to do is reframe it and say what we're going to do is drive in a bubble and we want this imaginary bubble around our car and what we're trying to do is always drive so the the bubble stays intact and it doesn't get popped Yes, yes. It's totally different driving, but doing the same task. But we've got a different perspective on it, on this driving in different roads. And I I find it's when you take away the problem and create a solution, but do it in a a different way, like your cat's whiskers, it's it's a really different way of driving and people can relate to it more without the necessary stress and anxiety of dealing with small spaces. Yes. In fact, when I see a client, the the way that I work is I do the initial consultation and usually do a couple of sessions which are just purely de-stressing and looking at possible solutions to all the other stresses. And then probably round about the third or fourth session, we might do a rewind if necessary. And when it comes to the reframing and the, the visualization, It's being able to get them into a place where they feel safe. And it's similar to that bubble. And it's being able to have that ability to focus and and see themselves being able to do it. Mm. And and that is key, I think, is, is that it can see themselves doing it. And that helps that amygdala to shut up (laughs) yeah (laughs) what do you do that gives you the confidence to drive now 
I know you've mentioned a little bit about the mindfulness while you're driving, but what do you do that gives you that confidence to get in the car now? Partly because I've experienced positive driving conditions and only occasionally have I actually had cases where I've been cut up or you know, or might be I haven't seen something and have to break suddenly and it's all been okay. But because of the tools that I teach, I still use them. So the mindfulness is part of it. I, I use other techniques uh, such as the NLP swish and I use one which I call the picture frame. So when I get flashbacks to things, but not everyone does, when I get a flashback, I know that's my brain just saying to me, oh, you know, that was unhelpful. You've got to watch out for these things. And I know not to pay attention to it. And I used to pay attention to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Now I just stick it in a mental picture frame and I make it smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> so I do use all the tools. I listen to my MP3, not every night, but quite a lot. I do a lot of hobbies, which are relaxing. I paint, for example. I do drive to work because I work in the clinic, but I do a lot online. And that can be quite helpful in that I am not constantly driving. So even when I am driving, I'm relaxed because I haven't got that going into the office and you know who knows what's happened there. I feel that the work that I do is or has helped me enormously with my own mental health. So I want to stick with the driving and just ask a question that we like to ask everybody who comes on and has passed their test. I'd like to ask you to think back to when you were learning to drive and let us know what did you find most challenging when you were learning to drive? I think, again, it's that kind of physical aspect of having to change gear you know, you've got clutch and gears and you're accelerating and paying attention. And I found that kind of overwhelming. Yeah. And that's one reason I ended up driving an automatic because that takes all that out of the way. And I can just focus on what I meant to be focusing on, which is what's in front of me. Brilliant. So that's sort of jumps in ahead because my next question was going to be what bit of advice would you give to somebody else who was struggling with that so would that be your advice moving over to an automatic it certainly would help also what I find when I work with people particularly those that have failed their driving tests quite often they're really worrying about what people behind them are thinking and I say look doesn't matter don't care about them it doesn't matter if you know they're getting really annoyed or angry. If you're going the speed limit, you're going the speed limit. If you're approaching a junction, yes, you need to kind of know what's going on around you, but just pay attention to what's in front of you and keep that focus. Not worry about what's happening to the person behind and what you know they're thinking, because this is all about you, not about them. I mean, it's yet again another distractor that's causing stress that isn't actually related 
to yes. your driving. <laughs> exactly. It's actually yes. outside of your driving. Yeah, yes. it's causing people so much stress. Yeah, yes. I agree. So, Penny, how do people work with you? How do they get in contact with you? And tell us about your book. Okay. Well, I again, I work from clinic and I also work online. So for those that are around the UK, and I've also worked with people abroad, they go to my website, which is www.oxford-hypnotherapy.co.uk. The book is called Driving Me Crazy. <laughs> I love that. and it's a bright yellow book with a car skidding in a red triangle so it's very very much in your face and that's available from amazon both as a kindle format and also as a paperback and what i tried to do with the book was to think of it like i was working with a client so It's about understanding what their brain's doing. It's about understanding what stress is in their stress bucket and creating these these little goals to aim for. And when we are faced with a, a major problem, we see it like trying to climb a mountain. And as far as our brains are concerned, we're here at the bottom and the goal's at the top and the brain's just overwhelmed at how it's actually going to achieve it. So because I'm a solution-focused hypnotherapist and I've also done CBT and NLP, I go through the kind of tools that they need to use to help reduce their stress levels right across the board. It's not just with driving, but everything in their life. And it's looking at what other things are actually causing them stress. And it's to work towards that goal. And I actually was, I was sent uh, an email by someone recently who had bought the book for his daughter. His daughter was 28 and she was avoiding even learning to drive. She was that anxious about it. So he bought her the book. And that was back in, I think, last summer. And she had just passed her driving test first time. And he said that he gave her the book. She went away and read it. And even without him coaxing her, she booked a load of lessons and she passed first time. Fantastic. Lovely. And that, to me, was the ultimate goal (laughs) of what this book is aimed at, is to get people who are really anxious and to say to them, you don't have to be that way, but if you understand that process, you can then learn to drive. Brilliant. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put all of the links to how to find Penny to her website and also links to that book on Amazon for you within our show notes so that you can easily find them. Lovely work. Penny, thank you so much for giving up your time and talking to us this afternoon. I think there's hopefully some really interesting information in there that will resonate with people listening and hopefully maybe give them a few light bulb moments and help them begin on their journey to building their driving confidence. Yeah, that'd be great if that happens. Fantastic. Thank you, Penny. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. 
I really enjoyed that interview with Penny. I think that there was a lot that she had to say that other people would resonate with. What were your main takeaways, Kev? So lots to think about there with that chat that we've just had. But two of the main takeaways I had was the first one was change. If something is not working, change. Don't be scared to change. Your work may well be bringing you down. But like Penny did, she changed what she did for a living, changed driving instructors. And I think people should not be afraid to change, but also reframing. We always say things in the negative, but if we get into the habit of reframing something in a more positive way, then the outcome will be more positive. And I think they're the two main things that I will take away from talking to Penny there positivity and change yeah she had a lot of negative experiences around driving which fed into her fears but once she'd reframed those then suddenly driving wasn't a problem for her anymore yeah and you know one of the things was space and she was sitting higher in a bigger car which made her feel safe so you know we changed the car so there's lots of different things that we can do, even if it's a small thing. It doesn't have to be changing a car, but it can be something small that you can change in your life that's going to have a more positive effect on you. Great. I think the thing that really stood out for me in Penny's story, which resonates with other people's stories that I've heard as well, is... This idea that actually it isn't always driving that's the problem. And often it's not people's driving skills. It's other things. It's things that are happening around them. It's past experiences. It's worrying about what other people say. And it's that stress bucket that Penny was talking about, that having a very stressful life impacts on your driving. It impacts on the way you drive and it impacts on your thoughts and feelings about driving. Yes, 100% agree with that. We get into the car and we want to drive, but we don't actually think about what is going through our emotions. How are they then going to affect that drive? If we've just had that argument, it does affect you, you know, when you're driving. If someone's just cut you up, you are going to react to that. That's human nature, but it's a choice of how you choose to react in that situation. And definitely things outside our control almost definitely affect the way that we behave behind the wheel. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. Have you got a story, perhaps where you've struggled with driving anxiety, driving fears, and have you overcome them? So if you've got a story that you think might resonate with other people, might even help them with their driving confidence, then get in touch. Now, all of the details for getting in touch with us and getting in touch with Penny are in the show notes, as always. So have a great day, whatever you're doing.